it's time for the boys to get down to business of planning a heist. Job interviews, eating scones, and getting haircuts. Pretty standard stuff, really. Hey, did you know there was a fear bulk here? We listen to episode 31 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for Talking Taz. Hello everyone and welcome back to Talkin' Taz, your weekly journey through the worlds of the Adventure Zone graduation. With you as always is me, your host and producer PJ, and with me as always is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hello. Lauren, what do you think of this episode? I liked it in the sense that we're like building to something bigger. There was definitely kind of flashbacks to the very beginning of the campaign where like it was an information dump and I'm just like trying to keep up with everything, but yeah i mean yeah like, look all i'm gonna say is <laughs> i've really just given travis a lot of credit for taking a lot of notes on what other dms do and really improving and letting go of the reins mm. and this episode it really feels like he's like starting to like retighten his grip on those reins yeah i can see him taking much more of a front seat as far as storytelling is going and he's like okay you guys stand over there i'm gonna do this and then i'll let you play in the sandbox when it's like ready which like partially i hope it's just for the heist because i mean realistically if you've watched every any heist movie or heist tv show heists kind of happen around you Mm -hmm. and you're planning is what you're interjecting Mm -hmm. like it's like this whole world is existing outside of you and you're trying to blend in while also disrupting it so theoretically i'm hopeful that maybe it's just because it's like the heist arc but also depending on how long the heist arc goes quote unquote also if that just has them fall back into old habits this could potentially be like where he starts to like lose people again where he starts to write the novel instead of like play a game with his brothers and his dad yeah I started to see him like pull out the old typewriter into as I was listening to this episode and I was like, yeah, put that back. Put that back. I thought we locked that up. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but we'll let's get into it. Yeah, let's do. Let's start off with the boys all leveled up. They sure did. Uh, which I love. I love. I love. Mm-hmm. Fitzroy took some additional levels in Barbarian uh, since his magic is behaving, you know, weird. Mm-hmm. Not chaotic, just weird. Just weird. <laughs> but his barbarian chaos magic still exists. It does. So there's some there, but it's smart that he took barbarian right now because it doesn't make sense to take more sorcerer. No. Uh, and he gets his two attacks now, which are always uh, yes. when your martial classes start to get exciting. Yes, yes. Fearbulk took some good new spells, you know, probably did some ability mods we don't know about. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Argo did ability mods we do know about. He increases con, which is, you know, just always a good idea. Always. I think people kind of dump con sometimes, and I'm like, that's literally how you get health. Yes, that's your that's your HP. Like uh, any new players or new DMs or, or DMs or players that just don't know this, when you up your con, it's theoretically retroactive. Yes. So like your con improving at eleventh level means that you get additional health for all levels that you have. It is so OP. It is so good. Please don't ever forget about Khan. Ever. And he upped his decks by another point because, like, why not? At this why point, you know, not? your pluses are going to get crazier and crazier yeah. until you hit 20. But Travis will get sadder and sadder. <laughs> and he got reliable talent, which is, you know, just one of the most broken things. For a rogue. Bards also get a version of reliable talent, too. That sounds right. 
I'm pretty positive because I feel like I've played with reliable talent type mechanics and I've never played a rogue. That makes me so, you would be such a good rogue. I saw this TikTok that yeah. was like, you know, things you should do based on your D&D class. And it was like, if you're a rogue, you should go to therapy. <laughs> And Skylar was like, have you played a rogue? And I was like, no, but maybe I should because I need to go to therapy. Everyone should go to therapy. I don't No, but care. like you need to go to therapy. Like you need to go to therapy. I mean, I can see that rogues tend to be the emo, the most emo of all of them tend to be. They don't have to be. You have yeah. this remarkable talent when you're a player. When you're a DM, you can tr- have so much more control, but... When you're a player, you are able to stack up all of your abilities and your traits and your weapon stuff to the point where you like break the game. My brain does not work like that. So I'm always just in awe when you do something like that. And rogues are able to break the game quite often. So I would be very interested to see you play something like a rogue just to see what you do with it. Yeah, potentially. See, and this is like no to no shade. (laughs) I like the ones that kind of have to be a little more creative with how they break the game because like rogues and monks kind of just break it by being powerful, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like a rogue's way of breaking the game is, yeah, and I have a 38 stealth check and with my sneak attack and second attack all combined, I do like 77 damage. And like that does break the game. But like, this is kind of like there, in my opinion, mm-hmm, in terms mm-hmm. of breaking the game. Like, I think it's a super badass move, like not in the slightest discounting that. Mm-hmm. But like the way I like to do it is very much like I want no one to see this coming. Yeah, that is always I want everyone to so be shocking. like, how did you even put those puzzle pieces together? Well, congratulations, because that is literally all I think whenever I play with you. And I'm like, I don't understand how that just happened, but it was so cool. I remember sometimes I would just be in the office with you and I'd be like, wouldn't it be so interesting if you had this item and this item? Because then technically you could do this. And you're like, what? Yeah, no, I, like I said, my brain doesn't work that way. So seeing you do something like that and like putting all these puzzle pieces together in a way that I had no idea they could fit together is so fun to watch and cool to talk about just like even when we're in the office. But if you actually were like a rogue, or something where they're kind of game breaking in their build and you had it. I don't think we would ever fight anybody because we'd walk in. You're like, I do this, this, this and this. They're dead. Okay, bye. <laughs> I've played a lot, but I haven't gotten to be a player a lot. So there are a lot of classes I haven't fully played around with. But I, mm-hmm. I'm just a big old loser nerd uh, who <laughs> <laughs> will just sit around and read every class and subclass and like learn it. Mm-hmm. So that's why, like, I am able to talk on them all the time. But, like, I've never played a cleric. I've never played a rogue. I've played a monk before. Mm-hmm. I've played a bard before. I've played a wizard before. Fighter slash paladin. I mean, I've half played, a played an artificer. Technically, you've played a rogue. He was our NPC. It was... um. But uh, playing NPCs does not count. I mean, that's... That's not a thing. That's true. But there were a couple of times where our friend Pyrdar in our very first campaign, he was a pirate and he joined us for a couple of fights and like for his turn you would like detail everything that he did and then you're like all right and now it's back to you guys and I was like okay well I guess now that the big kids are done the little kids can come in and like try to do something but it's not going to compare to what he just did that's not even I just feel like it felt that way because he had like magical tattoos 
So he got to do extra cool stuff. But I yeah. mean, I, I make it a like very strong point as a DM to always literally just do what like the base level of actions as an NPC. Because mm-hmm. I never wanted to feel like the NPCs they're killing everything and you guys are just kind of along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I get like, that. You know, when I have like a cool knight character, literally the second it gets to their turn, I'm like, all right, they do, you know, two great sword attacks. They both hit. They do 43 damage. All right, moving on. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I literally do not want them to be the star of the show. You never play them like they are the star of the show. So you succeed on that front, but when you like go through their turn really fast and you're like, all right, they did 54 damage. I'm like, excuse excuse me i didn't even hit my last turn and this jalopy walks up and just does 54 damage this is a a random thing that happens sometimes when i'm running encounters and i don't know why my npcs just almost always hit Mm -hmm. and i like don't fudge it because i again i honestly a don't fudge rolls but b all would rather them not be the ones that are getting all the killing blows Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's it's especially funny when like funny and messed up when the players have just whiffed for like an entire round, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's like, uh, all right, the the guy that's with you doesn't whiff, and he actually does super well. He rolled max damage on all of his attacks, and he hit all of them, and uh, everyone's dead. <laughs> so, moving on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is honestly i think the only thing i would like kind of fudge on is like i think if i had like an NBC with you guys for like a big encounter mm-hmm. that mattered to the story and like they somehow got the killing blow i might be like oh wow so close come on someone else do it Ooh, somebody else has to finish them oh off. wow you got the killing blow <laughs> Oh my god, look, that's literally crazy. Like, that hasn't come up yet, but, like, I wouldn't want it to be, like, and the the hero that fell, the mighty Lich Lord, was that elf you picked up in the bar. <laughs> Steve. Steve the elf. Steve the elf. Ugh, we stand Steve the elf. Oh my gosh. Speaking of picking up people at the bar and heading home with that. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the boys go back with Althea to her apartment and they crash in her very spacious living room. After dinner, she goes to bed early, leaving the boys alone. Fitzroy tries to find more pillows as stealthily as he can. You know, he doesn't want to wake Althea. <laughs> I get it. Pillows are everything. And Griffin in real life is like a huge pillow hog. Oh, see, I'm, a, I'm like a two sturdy pillows kind of gal. Oh, see, no, I, I love a ton of pillows around me. And I guess Griffin McElroy, not Fitzroy, like has to have tons of pillows, like a dragon with his pillow hoard. I couldn't. I sometimes when like, because my wife and I sleep schedule a lot of times these days doesn't line up. Mm. And if I even like remotely like end up with her pillow near me, I end up like just tossing it away. I'm like, no. <laughs> no, I don't need pillows near my person. Like, I don't need them on my body. That's not a thing I need. I just need the two under my head. And if I have only one, I'm going to have neck problems. And if I have three, I'm going to have neck problems. (laughs) I mean, it's good that you know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. But Griffin and I seem to be on the same wavelength of more pillows equals better everything. And 
as they were talking about Fitzroy, like finding pillows, Justin was like, there is one good thing that's come out of this pandemic. And it's that I don't have to scrounge my entire house for pillows to get ready for Griffin to come over. (laughs) I know when he said that, I was like, oh, God, I've never even thought of having to have a guest over that is a pillow hog. Mm -hmm. That's me. But speaking of hogs, Ah! we're segueing this episode. They're talking about the big event happening at Hog HQ, which mm-hmm. is one of the pieces of information they got from Althea. Yes. So they think the ceremony will probably be one of their best chances to hit and do the heist. Mm-hmm. So they're going to take tomorrow to do all their recon. Yes. This is very National Treasure, where they're going to steal the Declaration of Independence during the, the gala that they were holding. Yeah, they just greenlit a National Treasure TV show. What? On Disney Plus? Yeah. No. Somewhere else. Disney doesn't care about money. But I thought National Treasure was a Disney property. Yes, it is. Oh, okay. Is it going to be young? being facetious. Oh, yeah. I I got that now. (laughs) You're too fast for me. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure what the details are. I literally, like, right before we started recording, like, I pulled up my phone. I was scrolling through Facebook and it saw, you know, like, National Treasure TV series, Greenlit at Disney Plus. And I was like, what? Uh, Argo asks Pocket Gear if he's gotten any mail recently, and Pocket Gear starts printing out all the letters like an old school Game Boy printer, <laughs> uh, which means the quality will be terrible. But the fact that it happened at all will be uh, astonishing for the time. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the '90s and early 2000s. Uh, he got a response from Bloodhawk Barb. She accepts Argo's invite to go on a date. <laughs> And, you know, she's kind of weary about hosting and catering the roast, but she'll do it. But she is also like, well, maybe don't do a roast, though, because Althea's <laughs> kind of been through a lot. But, like, we can totally have a party and, like, that's cool. And, like, I guess you and I can go out together on it a It wasn't even, date. like, I guess. Like, she was like, okay, yeah. That's true. I guess Argo's method of, I need information, let's have a roast, like, continues to work. Yeah. I mean, not really, but kind of. Not really, but kind of. But now he like, I don't think this date will ever happen unless Travis just really brings it out of nowhere in the future just to mess with Clint. I mean, luckily they didn't like set a date for the date. So it's not like he's going to stand her up. That's true. No, but I think at some point if Travis wanted to, he has the ability to be like, hey, so are we ever going to go on that date, Argo? Yeah. And I think Clint will be like, yeah, let's do it right now. He's not tied down to anyone. He's not tied. Neither of them are. He's a young, swashbuckling college student. He can get through as much tail as he wants. With his vestigial tail. Gross. You remember right. Fitzroy that? Fitzroy wonders how wonders. Because <laughs> I can't forget I don't it. want to think about it. Uh, but Fitzroy wonders how, you know, someone could responsibly obliterate half a building mm. if they do manage to get into the archives. You know, they're thinking about, like, setting it on fire, planting a bomb. And this is where I was like... Okay, Travis, you could have led, you know, more breadcrumbs for this, or at least just be like, well, Althea is actually awake if you wanted to just give them information. Because Travis is like, well, actually, no, you don't have to do any of that. Because all you have to do is disrupt their paperwork system. Yeah, Travis comes in with, like, let me explain to you how, like, the world works. There's six words I hate when they're said in order and unfortunately when travis starts getting into the bad place he says them a lot which is i'm a kind and benevolent dm oof yeah he does say that 
quite often. I'm a kind of benevolent DM, just is code for, and I'm not just talking about Travis. This is not Travis slander. This is DM slander. I'm a kind of benevolent DM is code for, I don't really want to wait to see if you're going to figure this out. I'm just going to tell you. Yeah, it is a deus ex machina, essentially. With Is that even a deus ex machina? At least a deus ex machina is usually like cool looking. Like the, you know, the birds the bird eagle things flying into Mordor or whatever. Or whatever. PJ hasn't seen it. I haven't still. seen it, but I know that's a thing. Was I wrong? There are eagles in Lord of the Rings. I will not tell you more than that. Because I you know need what to, happens. You need Everyone to Everyone knows it. what happens in Lord of the Rings. I just, who has the time and energy? It's you so boring. Do. You it's do. It's so boring. Okay, it's a lot of like lore to get through, but like listen. I don't mind lore. If it's good. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You have to, like, listen, so much of fantasy, just like as a genre, was put in place because of Tolkien. Like, you have to experience the original. Everything starts somewhere and then gets refined to be better. I'm not saying that that's not a valid argument because it 100% is. But you should go back and, like, see where all of this came from and like the original version because then you can appreciate what's happened even more or been like oh wow he was he did more than i thought he did or oh wow i never I know how much again. he did i know okay. the contribute contributions of jrr token to the fantasy world mm-hmm. are incomparable immeasurable and irreplaceable and i know that lord of the rings is good i want to clarify before people come for my throat I'm just being dramatic. Always. I just, man, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. It's it's so boring. PJ, if you won't watch these movies for me, will you watch them for Brendan Lee Mulligan? I don't know Brendan personally. If Brendan Lee Mulligan did personally ask me, though, I would. I would. Not me. Brendan Lee Mulligan. You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) Not his best friend. His idol. Hey, I would do almost... You know, it's like that meatloaf song. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. So you will do anything in this context. You would do anything for me, but you won't watch Lord of the Rings. Exactly. And I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. I'm so sad. (laughs) No, I'll watch them eventually. You know I will. Get off my case. I know you will. Listen, You'll be there for it whenever it happens. I better be. Hell, everyone can be there for it when it happens if they want to be. I don't care. You have like a little viewing party. Be It'll so be better fun. than the first time I watched them where I got through like two packs of cigarettes because I was like, this is the only thing keeping me going right now. We can get you tipsy, but not drunk because you have to remember watching it. But if that's going to help you feel better about the situation, we can do that. We'll order food. We'll make it a whole thing. I'm not going to just sit you down in a dark room by yourself and make you watch them. In my heart, you will. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, just be dramatic. <laughs> mm, mm. PJ's the most dramatic, and that's not a dramatic statement. PJ is the most dramatic it's person true. I've ever met in my life. So basically, Travis explains like the whole process of how this works, and I love that he has built out this process, and I love that it exists, because mm-hmm. it gives him a lot of options, but I do agree with Griffin, who's like, I love that you put so much thought into this, considering we're probably just going to like carpet bomb the place or like call in a dragon. <laughs> Right? Yeah, it's a lot of detail for something It's not a that's... bad thing. I, I think he should give them the detail because realistically, as a DM, I would hope that they would come up with something more creative. And I think, and I think they will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they will. And I, again, appreciate Travis made so much detail and put so much of 
himself into this place that is inevitably just probably going to get blown up. But essentially, like, right, if they disrupt the flow of paperwork and everything kind of gets ruined, I mean, it would take them, like, several months to get everything back in order. And it's not even just going to get back in order, but, you know, all these people that have had contracts but have gotten more famous since then are going to have to renegotiate and it's going to cost the hog insane more amounts of money and mm-hmm, it's going to be, like, mm-hmm. a whole thing. Yeah. So, yeah, they're like, all right, I guess this is the plan. Master Fearbulg admits to being kind of scared of it. And he's sure. like, even if we do succeed, we don't know what comes afterwards. And he's kind of gotten used to the routine of school. And he's realizing he can't go back to it, even if they aren't arrested or skilled. And God, uh, if any of our listeners watch My Hero Academia, just know, like, you know, this is a dilemma that comes up in the show, you know, in the manga currently, in the show eventually, where it's like, we are at an apex where no matter what happens here is like, and we're, we don't know yet at the time of me saying this, like, I'm not spoiling anything. But, like, events just start getting so heavy, because of course they do. You've seen the show, where eventually it starts being like, can we just go back to UA and have fun sports festivals anymore? <laughs> I mean, I don't read and or watch My Hero Academia, so this is exclusively for you, listeners, if you do. Yeah, you I know what's up. Lord and the listeners. No, I know that. <laughs> I know that. I know that. <laughs> Argo kind of agrees and he's like, yeah, I get it. But, you know, we'll still have each other at the end of the day. And like, that's not going to change. Oh, so they, cute. you know, make their death pact, which we, that's kind of what we were all skirting around anyways. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, yeah, you know, I know we've joked about this, but like, this is a canon death pact. Yep. But it's but canon, it's not but it's canon. Not because... But, you know... <laughs> Because it was like they were kind of at first like in character, and then they started just like riffing off of each other. And I was like, this I mean, is one obviously of those they didn't make a death pact, but I will say, like most D and D, you kind of are in a death pact the second you join an adventuring party together. Yeah, if one of us goes, we're all going. Hello, everyone. It's me, PJ, your host, producer, and friend. Here's always to thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope you're enjoying the episode. Keep up with all new episodes by following us on social media. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talkin' Taz. On Facebook, you can also find the official Talkin' Taz group, where you can interact with us as well as other fans of the podcast. Or go to our website, talkin-taz.pinecast.co, for links to those socials as well as all of our episodes. Links to all of that can be found in the show notes. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends about it and leave a review on iTunes. It really does help. Thanks for tuning in. Now, back to the podcast. They awaken the next day and the boys have received maps to, you know, Hog, drawn by Althea. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm assuming that they were drawn by Travis. (laughs) And actually handed to the boys based on the fact that he was like, wow, they're so good. You wonder why they didn't go into an art career. <laughs> that is that is a very Travis-like thing to say. And they receive a message from Gray, essentially giving them an open line of credit at Barnes & Nobles. Oh, man. I'm still here for Gray being friends with the boys. That's like, that's like cool. Like, I'm gonna be real with you. You can be real with me. I think it was literally, Travis was super excited about this. And I remember him tweeting out, like, does anyone have cool, like, heist item ideas? And I think he didn't want to run the, and he, I think he liked them all. And obviously, I don't think he wanted to run the risk of the boys not wanting to go pick up new items for the heist. So he was like, it's free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, 
this is definitely like we were talking about Travis taking the reins and being like, I don't want you guys to go in there as you are. You're going to go in with some cool items. So like pick. Yeah. So yeah, they're able to go shopping. Griffin picks up some mustache wax that adds to his charisma. So Fitzroy grows a mustache for this mission specifically. Mm, I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, it's not what we know and love our Fitzroy to be, but it's just for this mission. I know. And I mean, I do like facial hair, but like just a mustache. Like just a mustache. And how fast does his hair grow? He's also half elf. Oh, they can grow. Yeah, half elves can grow whatever they want. That's right. But just like overnight, like he's like, I get the mustache wax. Oh, all of a sudden I have a mustache. Well, and they like kind of establish that he's been too busy to shave for the last few days. Yeah, because of everything. I get it. I don't have that problem, but I would understand that it could become a problem. If you're like planning a heist and stuff. Yeah. Clint gets a janitor's uniform, just a janitor's uniform. Just a janitor's uniform. You know, so now he can cosplay as his favorite character, uh, (laughs) astral janitor Clint McElroy. The planeswalking wizard. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Justin grabs a man of many masks, which, you know, allows him to essentially disguise self as anyone that has come in contact with it. Mm -hmm. And Griffin then takes the birthday boomers, which is a box that releases confetti when opened, and scrambles electronics, essentially works as an EMP. Mm -hmm. Clint takes the humming bard, which when in flight sounds like someone humming to themselves, and you can kind of give it some additional instruction. And Mm -hmm. Justin chooses the re-anchoring stone, which allows the user to choose which way gravity pulls them, which is a super interesting uh, thing. Yeah, I was super into all of those types of items. The humming bard, other than like distraction, what would you use the humming bard for? I mean, it's designed for distraction. It is designed for distraction, yes, specifically. But let's say you, PJ, have this humming bard in your inventory and you don't need a distraction. Would you ever reach for it? Like there's infinite use of the humming bard just for distraction. Yes. And there's almost no encounter where you wouldn't need to distract someone. I guess theoretically you could use it to convince someone there's a ghost. But I mean, I feel like that would be like a version <laughs> a of ghost? distraction. Oh, with the bird. Yeah, I feel like almost any version of this bird ends up becoming distraction. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like there's something else here. Listen to the hums, to the ringing of a bell, you know? <laughs> Okay, okay, yeah. The boys walk into the atrium, and we're given a lot more details as to what they see. I don't even want to get into all of them, because he just, like, it is, I mean, I love it. It's like a heist movie. Like, you know, when you watch a heist movie or watch a heist TV show, like, you see every corner of the building and every Mm -hmm. exit, every everything. Mm -hmm. And I love that you guys listen to the episode. You don't need me to repeat it. It's true, yes. But essentially, it boils down to, like, first floor is shipping and receiving, Second is admin, and third is investigators and enforcers. Mm-hmm. There's a few things they have to do ahead of the heist. They have to talk to Taryn. Obviously, they don't really need to do anything with Snippers. Like, they already established that that's how they got the contract flow information. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's kind of, you know, because they sent him into the mailroom, so he learned a lot about the mailroom. And they learned that employees have badges with this very complicated tiered gem system, which, again, I'm not gonna get into yeah we don't need to get into it but like the pin that they have i has a metal that it's made out of and the metals reflect different security clearances and then the gem that's inlaid on top of the metal also indicates different security clearances so like travis kept track of all that stuff but clearly the boys couldn't because they were like what is this 
what does that mean? And I was like, yeah. thank you, because I also am not able to keep track of all of it. Travis knew. Props to Travis. He like knows his world, what he built, he stuck to. Yeah, I'm not, I'm this, me not wanting to repeat it here is not me being like, it was a pointless thing to bring up for right. them. No, no, yeah. I think if you're going to have someone do a heist, you need to be realistic about it. And part of that realism is thinking, like, if you're going to break into the most highly secure place in the world, mm-hmm. they're not going to just be like, everyone can go everywhere. Like, no, there's <laughs> going to be a way for different people to go different places, and there's going to be a system to check that. Mm-hmm. So I love, I love how much thought he put into this. Oh, yes. It's amazing. We don't need to rehash it, but <laughs> it's great. Uh, they also, you know, have to destroy the processing payroll and archives. And they do know that there's an emergency exit system in place, but it only moves upwards to prevent people from getting trapped on lower levels or underground, mm-hmm. which I was already like, all right, then just use the re-anchoring stone to just go down it. Whoa. I see already you're thinking about things and I'm just like taking notes as opposed that's to... A, that's what I would have to imagine, right? Because if it was stairs or something going upwards, you could just go down them. In my brain, I'm like, the emergency exit system's like a chute because how else would you prevent people from going back down it? Yeah, there's got to be some preventative thing that's making them only go in one direction. Like maybe I'm just... Maybe I'm not thinking about it the right way, but I was thinking, like, if it was just, like, you know, like, an emergency exit stairwell, like, <laughs> you could just go down it. Like, that's not hard. Yeah. If it's but even, if like, it's an like escalator. But if it's, like, a chute that, like, gets you out of there in the case of an emergency or something like that, mm-hmm. then, I don't know. I feel like maybe that's where, you know, you could use that re-anchoring stone because maybe it's, like... The gravity is permanently lifting upward to get you out of there as quickly as possible. I have a question that just just occurred to me. Whenever you're carrying this re-anchoring stone, does that mean that you can just walk wherever you want because essentially you're able to give whatever you're walking on gravity to hold you down or is it you have to like activate it? The re-anchoring stone literally essentially works the way that they described it is you can, I'm assuming as an action, because it says you choose. You choose which way gravity pulls on you. So you couldn't just walk on any surface unless you were being very active. Because if you changed it so gravity worked so that you could theoretically walk vertically, the second you would then try to walk on the roof, you would be effed again. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a very mindful thing. You have to actively kind of... It's almost like a switch. Because you're sure. choosing which way gravity pulls on you. Is it pulling you up, pulling you down, pulling you sideways? What is it? Okay. Okay. Thank you for answering my question. <laughs> of course. <laughs> The Thunderman spot Taryn getting something from the cafe cart, and they start touching base with her, acting like, you know, they're old pals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm. Fitzroy just needs some dating advice from her. <laughs> After asking if they can use their badge to gain access to the archives, Taryn's kind of like, mm, I don't know, maybe no, because then I would obviously be like the only suspect. <laughs> uh, maybe try dressing as male people or something. Like, there's literally a multitude of options. And see, like, this is how you guide people in the right direction, right? Have your NPCs realistically have a reason to do it for them. Yes. That's how you guide us all the time. Because I, I don't, I think you should guide your players if they're really lost. Like, that, I, I'm not mad about that, but it's mm-hmm. like you just as a DM being like, all right, well, you guys aren't getting it. It's this. When, like, you could literally just have an NPC come up and be like, wow, you guys aren't getting it. It's this. <laughs> We've had those a couple of times where you're like, all right, your NPC friend is like, hey, this is stupid. I feel like we're heading in the wrong direction. It's like, yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> you know, so they talk to Tara and they're working through their plan and they're like, all right, so tell us about the archives. And she explains the very complicated archive system as well. But this one is a little more important to the plot of the heist because it's there are 28 cabinets and within each cabinet, there's a pocket dimension holding everything. So that's pretty complicated to try to get information, you know, and try to figure out. Yeah. 
But the problem is that with that kind of power from magic, running consistently, it creates magical exhaust. So there is moss that absorbs the magic and makes it safe to be in the room. So my automatically, I'm thinking, right, because of all of this setup, that the moss is probably like a big target. In one of our campaigns, our my friend Jacob, I should I say my friend, he's our friend Jacob, tried to create a black hole by like creating another pocket dimension in a pocket dimension and it worked not the way he intended it was successful that so yeah that's my thought right going into this where i'm like there's tons of pocket dimensions you destroy the moss you create black holes done so get out well you probably wouldn't even need to create the black hole i mean like the black holes is maybe like an extreme here Mm -hmm. i think you just take out the moss the magic destabilizes, those pocket dimensions are lost. That too. It could be as simple as that. I overcomplicate things a lot. <laughs> what? <laughs> Shut up. I've never played D&D with you and seen you overcomplicate everything. <laughs> Listen, kids, D&D's fun. I'm not good at it, but D&D's You're fun. You're very good at it. Mm. That's why I think you overcomplicate it, because you, you do see the 77 pathways ahead of you, and you overthink which one is the right one. Whereas, like, I also see the 77 paths, but I'm like, Mm, that one right there sure there you go (laughs) i'm not as decisive i guess as it is (laughs) you are burdened with choice (laughs) which is the worst thing to give me just tell me what to do and i'll do it but But see that's the problem it's not even that there's choice necessarily it's that you're smart enough to see the choices that are inherently there Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm so it's not even like I'm sitting there like, there's three doors. Uh, which one do you go through? It's like, there's three doors. And then you're like, yes, but there's also the hallway. There's also the chance that there's a secret door in here. There's also a chance that as we're walking through, there will be a tra- And you just start going through it in your head. And then two hours later. You're like, I choose the door on the left. <laughs> but also, immediately close it. Do not want to go in there. I open it because I couldn't gather much information. And I don't like what's inside. So, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so the Thunderman decided to split up. Fitzroy heads to the mail room. Argo attempts to gather info on the badges, and Master Fearbolg will hang in the atrium to keep an eye on the daily comings and goings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Argo approaches the reception desk and tries to kind of make his way through gathering some badge information, but he doesn't seem to really get anywhere with it. So mm-hmm. he goes for another tactic, convincing the receptionist to give him a haircut <laughs> after her shift, which is interesting, <laughs> but uh, we'll see how that goes. Freaking Clint. <laughs> We hop over to the mailroom where Fitzroy is rocking a full Wilf- Wilford Brimley stash. Uh, and he walks right into the break room, pretending he's there for an interview. And he does amazing as Buck Huntman. Buck Huntman. Uh, everyone's favorite NPC, soon to be replaced, but everyone's favorite NPC, Buck Huntman. Yes. Uh, and everyone loves Buck Huntman. You Especially know, we're waiting for Justin. the Buck Huntman spinoff series. Honestly, this is where the magic happens, right? It's like with Breaking Bad, they had the spinoff Better Call Saul. Like, there's always that one lovable character that everyone just gravitates to. And it just happens in this one to be Buck Huntman. Buck is, you know, just super cool. You know, he turns the chair around, sits on it backwards. Ugh. Like a cool guy. So cool. And he ends up getting the job, you know, with some very successful roles. Mm -hmm. Because he's even like, I don't remember there being an interview. And he's like, yeah, you do. And he's like, I guess I do. And he like, Griffin especially does some amazing RP in this situation where he doesn't sound like Fitzroy. Like Fitzroy has completely taken on this character. And... The answers to his questions in the interview, I was like, I'd hire you too. He knows how to take on another persona. (laughs) It's not even just one persona because once he gets a job and uh, he starts asking about getting his new uniform, 
Griffin decides that he is going to reveal the truth mm-hmm. to our interviewer. And he goes up to him and he says, hey, my real name's not Buck Humpman. It's Chud Chud Bopsman. Chud Chud Bopsman. Chud dash Chud Bopsman. <laughs> Which immediately is like, how did we ever think Buck Hutman was a good name? How is that ever a possibility? It's Chud Chud, clearly. And more than anybody else, Justin, like fanboys over Chud, the Chud Chud thing, so much. <laughs> it's so funny. I loved it. It was one of the best bits, maybe in the this uh, campaign in general. Yes, because usually Justin is the one that we're like, wow, he is so good at like naming his characters. But for Justin to be like, no, that's that's the best name. That's the one. That's it. Master Fearbog's been chilling out watching us, you know, eating some scones and learning about Chef Mike. Mm-hmm. But it's a very, you know, sordid past. Mm-hmm. Professional ballet dancer to paid assassin to cafe art barista which if you've ever talked to a chef that looked a little a little rough you know it's actually a pretty standard story <laughs> is it really <laughs> not obviously that but like i feel like anytime i ever talk to like a really good chef like if i've ever had like just some bomb food and i've ever talked to a chef they're like yeah i had a very terrible life with a lot of crime oh my god the chef mike background definitely reminded me of like black widow oh yeah it's definitely a little a little black widow very black but it's also i mean obviously black widow is based on the idea of you know all the the russian the russian uh ballet spy yes she is but so is chef mike and apparently a lot of chefs just in general Uh, yeah i mean unfortunately a lot of chefs don't have the ballet part but the assassin part yes so it's kind of like a rhombus is always a square but a square isn't a rhombus so all chefs work And criminals. a hot dog is always a sandwich, but a sandwich is not a hot dog. Yes. Kind of like that, right? Can I say, though, hot dogs aren't actually a sandwich. Hot dogs are a taco. Hot dogs are 100% a taco. I'm not even going to fight about that. Then this. again, there are people who say that tacos are a sandwich. And to those people, they can go die. How dare they? No, tacos are tacos. Sandwiches yep. are sandwiches. Get out of here. Yep, yep, yep. I hate that. Uh, as he's kind of learning stuff here, he does learn that Holifer is the best tipper and loves scones just as much as Master Fearbulg. And Holifer is also like the head guard here. Mm-hmm. So Master Fearbulg takes some scones and he's like, so no one's ever like done deliveries, right? And, and Chef Mike's like, no, the logistics of delivery are just so hard to figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would love to. Also like, hey, you're a Fearbulg. Here, have an Ogreberry scone. <laughs> and the fear bulk eats it and starts having like a bad acid trip yes he does <laughs> but uh, 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 even in his heightened high state he has already at this point gotten chef mike to touch the man of many masks item he's yes. got a few other people too mm-hmm. and most in- most importantly he takes a bunch of scones over to Holifer, the head the head guard mm-hmm. and gets Holifer to reach in to take out scones so now the man of many masks item can replicate the head guard of the heroic oversight guild genius wonderful which was so funny because there was a point where like griffin was like what's your plan here and justin was like oh you have little faith <laughs> <laughs> just sit down and take notes <laughs> uh we swing back over to the reception desk 
God, I'm not ready for this. Where Argo <laughs> is waiting for Bailey to get off so she can cut his hair. And mm-hmm, he overhears mm-hmm. a conversation. And I was like, what's this going to be? Right? And it's someone being like, oh, wow, we're so excited to have you here. It's really excited to see you be promoted, Commodore. Or should I say Admiral? And I was like, Commodore? The co- again? He's and I'm like back? shook. And I obviously, like, we're not supposed to know what is happening here. Mm-hmm. But, like, I am like, wait, but, like, is this a good thing is he on their side because like he's one of gray's minions or maybe he isn't one of gray's minions anymore after everything that happened and like he's gonna wreck their whole spot or even if he is there to be an ally to them Mm -hmm. like is argo gonna be okay with that you literally except for the whole like is he not working with gray anymore like is he not one of gray's minions i didn't think about that part but i instantly was like oh the Commodore is working with Gray. He's probably here to like help and keep an eye on the boys. But are the boys going to let that happen? Because Fitzroy was the one who got like big mad at him last time and just like jumped the gun and attacked him and like did the whole not trial thing against him. Argo, he killed his mom. So like who knows what Argo is going to do. So yeah. it'll be interesting character play for sure. I am on the team of Commodore is here under Gray's command essentially i mean i hope so honestly that's probably it right i don't think that's really the uh, but i mean this could just be a huge wrench or it could just be a fake out so that we're excited to tune in the next episode because mm. i am and that's all we have for this episode yeah that's where it ends that's where it ends on a very big cliffhanger Ugh. i'm excited to see where this goes i yeah. obviously i'm curious to see how the commodore or admiral stuff plays out oh because uh, even if he is on their side again, that could get like very dramatic very quickly. Oh yeah, he's just gaining more and more power in this world. And even if he is an ally, like, uh, well, I, I think if he is on their side, then the promotion to admiral is one hundred percent a thing that Gray has orchestrated to make their heist easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It all like seems connected, right? Like they yeah. happen to be going to Hog when there's a big ceremony happening. What's the ceremony for? The Commodore getting a promotion. Like it all seems like it's falling into place to where the boys have like the perfect storm to wreck this place. Which I mean, it's all probably by design. So mm-hmm. again, I I love the I love this. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. it's a very fun heist episode, or at least a heist setup episode. Yeah, I'm excited for the heist itself. We yes. got to see what crazy shenanigans they get into. <laughs> Same. I love a good heist. I love when it starts going off the rails and they have to try to like figure it out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like make it work. Yes, because nothing ever fully goes to plan. So like, what are they going to do? I just hope it's handled well. Because again, Travis is kind of like starting to take the reins back. And yeah. I don't want him to fall into like a, oh, the heist is going wrong. Let me fix it for you. Or, yeah, because hopefully stories get more and more interesting as they fail, right? Yeah. So if it is going bad, let it go bad. Let it go hella bad. Yeah. I want to see these boys in jail. Oh, my God. Oh, my but, like, God. That's like, I mean, like, I, I watch, I mean, I listen to Dungeons and Daddies, and, like, a thing I do love, love, love about them mm-hmm. is, like, if something is a consequence, it's a consequence. Like, you know, one of the characters was put on trial. And they had a, like, court system. They lost the trial. And he went to jail. And there was, like, nothing to be done about it. Mm-hmm. 
and then you have like, to figure no, that out. There was no like Deus Ex Machina, like uh, oh, actually, we're just gonna break out. They even tried to do the like, oh, we're just gonna break out, and they were like, the, they were like, we're a court in a magic realm. Do you think we don't have plans for people that could do magic? What is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna see what happens, but I'm with you. If it's gonna go bad, how are Let they gonna go bounce bad. back? If they can bounce back, and maybe this. Maybe they do go to jail. Maybe something yeah. really, really, really bad happens. But Obviously, I hope it goes well. I mean, right? I do too. I'm hoping for success. But I've never seen a heist that just goes according to plan. Never. They never do. But we'll see. Obviously, we'll see. And we'll have to keep waiting because uh, that's, again, that's where we're going to call it. Until yeah. next time, I've been PJ. I have been Lauren. And we'll see you next Thursday or Monday when we are once again talking Taz. Taz.